For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. This episode of the Drake Cast is brought to you by Scott Flyrods. The other day, I called up Josh Lively, who guides for Roaring Fork Anglers in Basalt, Colorado. He told me what makes Scott Flyrods special. You know, we could talk about how great these rods cast or the heritage of Scott, but to think that those rods are all handcrafted by blue-collar American workers, they wake up every day and handcraft the finest fly rods made. It's just really cool to, to see that, you know, to know the, the pride that's going into that rod. It's always cool when I get to go to the factory and give everybody a high five and bring them a case of beer and donuts. Thanks, Josh. You can find out more information at your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. This episode is also brought to you by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This is Jim Klug with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This week's featured destination is Belize. Easy to get there, Belize is ideal for anglers who are new or relatively new to saltwater, great for families or couples, and incredibly diverse when it comes to fishing, with opportunities for bonefish, permit, tarpon, snook, and more. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember that while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. Alrighty, on to the show. So the last episode we put out was about the Bighorn River and specifically some of the challenges that the river has been facing in the past few years. But right after that episode aired... I got on the phone with someone who felt that there was a whole group of people that was left out of the conversation. Hello, this is Ken. Hey, Ken, this is Elliot calling from the Drake Magazine. How are you doing today? Good. Can we just start by having you say who you are and what your relationship is to Bighorn Lake? Uh, Ken Grant. I am on the board of Friends of Bighorn Lake. And what is your connection to the lake? I grew up boating on the lake. And my kids have grown up boating on the lake. And I started a boat dealership once the lake filled back up in 2007. And Ken Grant lives in Lovell, Wyoming, which, according to Google Maps, is a 20-minute drive from the contested Horseshoe Bend Marina on Bighorn Lake. Horseshoe Bend, unfortunately, it's filling in with sediment. So it's becoming impractical for the Park Service and BOR to continue to maintain reservoir levels that are benefiting this access point that does not have a life. Horseshoe Bend Marina is really at the center of this entire argument because the marina is filling in with sediment. And the only way that boats can safely access the lake there is by keeping water levels in Bighorn Lake much higher than normal. On one side of the argument, you have Ken Grant and the Friends of Bighorn Lake, who are fighting to keep high reservoir levels to ensure access at Horseshoe Bend. And then on the other side, you have the Bighorn River Alliance headed by Anne-Marie Emery, who you just heard from in the previous quote. She and the Alliance are fighting for more controlled flows on the river. And both of these sides right now, they're doing a bit of finger pointing. Friends of Bighorn Lake is not representing the best interests of the, the entire lake recreational area. Again, Anne-Marie with the River Alliance. As the entire national recreational area, with the exception of Horseshoe Bend, can be accessed and preserved with the reservoir being held at lower 
elevation. Can you just tell me how you understand what the Bighorn River Alliance is fighting for right now? Well, I can't really speak for them. From what I understand by watching their, their media blitz, reading their articles, and their vi watching their videos is, I don't know if they just want to go back to pre-2007 type management where the Bureau is more focused on the fishery and the river releases than on the National Recreation Area. Both groups claim that their respective body of water is crucial to the local economy. They, by, by listening to their videos, they're trying to make their fishery look so extremely valuable. And to get an even more personal perspective, I spoke to the manager of the Horseshoe Bend Marina. So, so what would be the outcome if they lowered lake levels to what the Bighorn River Alliance is calling for? We would probably be dry. Uh, and, and that means? I mean, the business no longer exists. Well, on the other hand. The Bighorn River boasts a wild trout population that rivals any in the world. Drives more than $100 million in economic activity and irrigates thousands of acres of ag land in Montana. And this is the central question. Who's right? Is it the river or the lake that's more important? Are the federal water managers favoring one user group over the other? And is there any merit to any of this finger pointing? In this episode, we'll let both the Bighorn River Alliance and the Friends of Bighorn Lake air their grievances and support their claims. But in the end, maybe we're talking about the wrong issue here. Maybe water management isn't the problem at all. Stick around. The mountain called Monkey had spoken. There was only fire. And then, nothing. To put this whole argument into context, we need to go back a few decades to see how both the lake and the river used to be managed and how things led to where they are now. In the early 2000s, the water levels in Bighorn Lake were very, very low. They were drought years. They were fairly dry years. Not a lot of inflow. It seemed the Bureau of Rec was managing the water for the needs of the fishery. And to clarify, the fishery being uh, the Bighorn River below the Yellowtail Dam. Correct. And anytime there was any inflow coming in, they just let the fishery have it all rather than let the reservoir fill up. But then in 2006, the drought came to an end thanks to some huge spring rains. So everyone around here thought, okay, the, the drought's over, we're back in business, we've got our lake back. And that whole next winter, the winter of 06 and 07, the Bureau of Wet Reclamation drained the lake clear down, you know, basically giving the river high river releases, and the lake was empty again. So, so that kind of got us thinking, what's going on here? Something weird is happening. The lake filled up, and they drained it over a few months. And they started discussions, and they decided, well, let's, let's hold some meetings, and let's invite the Bureau of Reclamation. And let, let's just see what we can find out, because nobody really knew what was going on at that point. We just knew something didn't seem right. So the Friends of Bighorn Lake had some meetings with the involved federal bodies, and they eventually changed the federal protocols that determined how water is managed on Bighorn Lake. And in 2007, which was the fourth driest year on record of the reservoir since 1967, it went from empty to full. So that tells us right there that had they been managing the way they were always supposed to, we probably wouldn't have ever had an empty reservoir. And just as Ken's problems with water levels in the lake were ending, the troubles for Anne-Marie and the Bighorn River were really just getting started. 
Can you just talk to me what exactly the BRA is fighting for? Yeah, the Big Four River Alliance is fighting for a balanced basin approach to water management. This is Anne-Marie Emery, the executive director of the Bighorn River Alliance, which is lobbying for safer and healthier flows on the Bighorn River. Um, One where policy is not driven by political pressure, but science, and where all stakeholders share the risk during high and low flow water years. Could you describe the current situation of what is going on with uh, the Bighorn River? Yeah. So changes made to water management practices 10 years ago um, on the Bighorn were pushed by strong political pressure from Wyoming. Political pressure meaning lobbying from people like Ken Grant. And in turn, the Bureau of Reclamation developed new operating criteria for um, water management with minimal stakeholder input. And this change made it so reservoir levels were kept at elevation 10 feet higher than the prior 40-year average. And the problem with this is that with the reservoir 10 feet higher than its normal levels, the storage capacity of the lake drastically decreased. Because let's say there's a lot of rainfall that spring. The dam managers then have to let a bunch of water out of the reservoir, which flows into the Bighorn River. And as we have seen from the past 10 years, keeping the reservoir this high does not work for basin users downstream of the dam. So the Bighorn River Alliance isn't happy. And to let people know about their unhappiness, they made this video. Unfortunately, this river that we love so much is at risk. And so that is where we are today. But Ken Grant has some problems with this video. And really the whole media blitz, as he calls it, that the Bighorn River Alliance is undertaking. There, there, there's misinformation, there's lies, and then there's statistics. And statistics can be used as the worst form of lies. If you want to pick and choose numbers and make them look the way you want, and that's, that's what I feel they're doing. So they can be open and transparent with however they're coming up with all these ridiculous numbers. And to be honest, I too was a bit skeptical of some of the claims made in the video. So here are some questions that both Ken and I had for Anne-Marie and the River Alliance. And then they make comments in that video that they shouldn't be managing the water for six or seven boats at the South Lake. It's, it's just crucial that somebody step in, into the middle of this and say, you cannot continue to operate this, this river for six or seven boats at Horseshoe Bend. It does not sound like an exaggeration. I don't know that there's ever been a legitimate study. Any numbers that are given in their video are just made up. There, there's, you, it would take a very expensive study over several years to come up with any numbers, and yet they're throwing out these numbers that are ridiculous. There are hundreds of boats that launch and use the flat water recreation at the South Lake. The lake is a national park enacted by Congress. The fishery was a byproduct of the reservoir. It has no congressional act or any law that puts priority over the fish, of the fishery over a national recreation area. To this question, Anne-Marie came prepared with a response. Ken Grant was pretty fired up about the video that had been released because he claimed you guys were making false, unsupported claims. So those numbers come from monitoring the web camera at Horseshoe Bend on Memorial Day weekend. During the Memorial Day opening, it's often cold and snowy. 
um, yet Lovell uses this weekend as the date they want flat, flat water recreation to commence. Um, that time of year is most often the time of year you want the reservoir drafted to its lowest in point in order to have the storage available to contain the snowmelt runoff. So the risk and hardship placed on the Bighorn River in Montana has been the direct result of insufficient storage available in late May and June, requiring BOR to re release enormous amounts of water to evacuate storage. Alrighty, that issue seems to be resolved. But how about this one? Another point they're doing with their media blitz is we, we have documentation. One of the first meetings in 2007, Montana Fish Wildlife Park stated that that fishery had an economic value of $14.25 million. Then sometime in 2015 that that fishery now has an economic impact of $51 million. Then January of 2018, Again, they're quoted in the Billings Gazette that the fishery now has an economic value of $102 million. What study are they going off of? These, this is misinformation and, and exaggerations. I can only speculate based off of what I, I see them doing. Is They're trying to make their fishery look so valuable that they can influence the public to get worked up. They can uh, get their elected officials all worked up and try to politically pressure the Bureau of Reclamation to start managing for the fishery rather than for the whole water system. That's my take. To which Anne-Marie replied, um, Well, first of all, I'm not quite sure where kids' numbers came from. We've always stated that, you know, the Bighorn brought in $33 million in 2006, around $50 million in 2010, and now we're seeing over 100 million. These are numbers that come from Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks economists. The bighorn sees an excess of 140,000 angler days, annualized, that's 383 anglers each day on the river. In contrast, you know, the National Park Service report that was commissioned back when the National Park Service was studying personal watercraft found that the peak recreational season on the reservoir was 4th of July weekend, which saw an average of 61 boats while non-holiday dates showed dramatically fewer boats. But in, in terms, when he's talking about actually the increase, where did that come from? Well, there are two reasons that, that these values increase over the years. Um, one of them is increased use, and the other one is inflation. Um, the Bighorn River over time has a reputation, and it's becoming more popular amongst anglers, especially non-resident anglers. And secondly, the average per day expenditures have increased due to inflation or increased costs of travel, lodging, and trip costs. So the angler day expenditure numbers are updated by the Bureau of Labor Statistics and account for inflation. So for example, trip-related expenditures for resident anglers in 2010 would have been valued at you know, $45. Whereas today, that number increases to $86 as costs and food, lodging, and equipment naturally increase. To determine the economic value of the river, you take the angler days for both resident and non-resident anglers and multiply those days by per-day expenditures. So increased costs plus increased angler use equals greater economic value. And these are inarguable figures provided by economists and Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. 
Another point that Ken continually referenced in our conversation was this. And, and again, not, not that it even matters. It doesn't even matter. An act of Congress protects the national park, and it's against the law to denigrate a national park. So the elected officials can go push all their political power around, but the Bureau of Rec legally has to manage to protect a national park. Now, if they can do that and at the same time protect the fishery, we're perfectly okay with that. And we seem to think the Bureau of Reclamation has done a fabulous job, so good that the fishery has increased 700% in value. That's how good the Bureau's been doing for 10 years. But there's a little bit of a problem with Ken's argument. But it's also important to note that, you know, there are also two river access sites below the dam after Bay of Three Mile that are also within the National Recreational Area and therefore are also protected. One of the final claims that Ken made wasn't based on numbers at all. A sad thing is the fishery people, which would include the guides, the fishermen, the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, when they put out this misinformation and they start lobbying their elected officials, they're not doing it for the citizens of Montana. They're doing it for their special interest, which is common. That's to be expected. But there are hundreds of voters, southern Montana voters, that want this south end. This south end of the lake being Horseshoe Bend Marina. A lot of these billings and southern Montana people are coming through Lovell, launching at Horseshoe Bend, and the lake is very important to them. But they have no representation with their elected officials because the fishery people are monopolizing that lobbying effort. And the elected officials, they don't know. Nobody's telling them. So they start fighting they get all worked up off of these false numbers and this misinformation and, and think they're, they're, they're working for Montana interests. They're not working for Montana interests. They're working for the fishery interests. And so just to turn that back on you, um, they're a special interest group uh, advocating for their own special interest. What does that make you then? Are you a crusader for the truth? I mean, you can't deny the fact that you have a special interest in representing your side of the argument as well. Can, can you just explain how you see yourself? Sure. I would like to think that I'm good with the fishery flourishing. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the lake flourishing. And I, I think it needs to be managed with everybody in mind. The fishery, you can tell by their media blast that they could care less if there was water in the South Lake. They just need their preferred flows. That's what they care about. Yeah, I'm, I, certainly I'm a special interest group, but I, I feel like I'm a lot more broad in supporting what the public wants and not such a small group of people. We do lobby our elected officials as well because that's the only way we feel we can counteract what the Montana elected officials are trying to do. So that, that's how you battle it. If it's going to become a political battle, you got to get your elected officials on board. What, what's sad is the Montana elected officials don't understand the needs of other Montana residents or their desires as well. But Anne-Marie, on the other hand, claims that the Friends of Bighorn Lake are working solely for the benefit of the people who access Bighorn Lake at Horseshoe Bend, without considering other stakeholders. And I think that the issue that I personally have a problem with is, you know, friends with Bighorn Lake are acting like they're advocating for the whole recreational area when every access site within that huge lake can be accessed at, at lower elevation. So it comes down to really preserving 
their one access site, which today we know is a sediment trap. And Anne-Marie, can you go into a little more detail about Horseshoe Bend being a sediment trap? Every single day of the year, 4,000 tons of sediment dumps into the south end of that reservoir and settles into Horseshoe Bend. And the end of the concrete boat ramp at Horseshoe Bend today is actually under 30 feet of silt. So as a result, every day, higher and higher reservoir levels are required to launch boats safely at that boat ramp. However, every other access site within the recreational area um, including one called Barry's Landing, which is 10 miles, you know, away from Horseshoe Bend, can be accessed at reservoir levels kept 30 feet lower. So these higher reservoir elevations do not benefit any other, rec you know, recreational um, access site besides Horseshoe Bend. And there comes a point where you have to argue policy that is work that is working on expanding the limited life of a single low-use site that has no sediment solution. Maybe this whole argument isn't about water levels at all. I think when Horseshoe Bend Marina was initially created, it was thought to be, to be developed into a high-use recreational access site for voters that would be very lucrative to the people of Lovell, Wyoming. However, that marina was never fully developed as it soon became known by the National Park Service that the Horseshoe Bend is in fact acting as a sediment trap. And again, I feel sorry for the people of level. There is, there is, you know, they, they were promised um, a high-use recreational marina, and today it is filling with sediment, and there isn't a solution. Um, and so I feel like it is not the reservoir levels that is hurting them, it is the sediment. And we would like to help them with problem-solving with that sediment. <laughs> Oh, a little town in the USA, the time has come to see, it's nothing you believe you want, but where were you when it all came down on me? Did you call me now? Stick around for scenes from our next episode. Just a few thank yous this week. Ken Grant with the Friends of Bighorn Lake, thanks for sharing your concerns with us. Anne-Marie Emery, thanks for providing all the valuable information. Now, next week's episode may seem like a bit of a throwback. And when they aren't fishing, they're playing music. Sean's touring around the world with Bon Iver, and Ben's doing pretty well with his respective bands. And throughout this whole whirlwind of success, Sean is writing his own music under the name S. Carey. Again, here's Sean. And I started S. Carey, like on those first long Bonnie Bear tours, just got inspired and I want to write my own stuff. He gets some friends together, including Ben, and they record this music. For example, the music you're hearing right now. This is S. Carey. This is Sean and Ben. but it's actually about something new. Hey, Elliot. Sean, how are you? There we go. Yeah, I just, <laughs> just straight up hung up on you there. It's like, nope. 
You know, just to cement the power dynamic of this relationship. Exactly. You got to earn this, man. Just kidding. How are you? I think this is your best work to date. How how do you look at this album in terms of your growth as a musician and a songwriter? Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I have the same feeling <laughs> like this this feels this feels the best to me. It feels um it feels like I kind of I finally have have found my my voice in a certain way. I hope that you'll join us. Thanks for listening. This has been the Drake Cast. <laughs>